0: Well, hello and welcome to the Smells Like Money podcast. Join me, Suzanne Chin Taylor, the doo doo diva, as I interview guests who are making an impact on how we manage and operate systems for conveying and treating wastewater. As a veteran of the wastewater, trenchless and civil infrastructure industry, each week I'll be bringing you industry know-how from industry pros who know how. Join me each week as I speak with representatives of organizations that are utilizing disruptive or new technologies and methods, and executives who are excited to share how to be successful and sustainable in our vital industry. So whether you want to learn about the latest trends in technology, in treatment or trenchless, gain tips on training and retaining great talent, or simply how to be more efficient, productive, or profitable, this podcast is for you. Ready? Let's dive right in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Doo Doo Divas Smells Like Money podcast. Today, we have the privilege of visiting with Amanda Wattie Esquire, who has an extensive background as she was working on her thesis for law school on the subject of microplastics and how they affect the environment. But more importantly, her research was all surrounding how it affects the wastewater effluent stream and what happens to these little buggers when they get down to the wastewater treatment plant or should i say what doesn't happen to them when they reach the wastewater treatment facility so amanda thank you for being on the show today and welcome you know welcoming and hearing your knowledge on this
1: very interesting and timely subject Thank you for having me. Um, I really, I want to say you're doing great work and necessary work bringing these issues to light. and uh, they they may be sliding under the radar, but I mean, these opportunities to discuss them are so important. I call these microplastics tiny terrors, so that
0: that when when we spoke before you came on the show about having you come and talk about this subject, I was not aware of where they, you know, we all hear about them, but where they come from how they get into the effluent stream but what was really shocking is that how they get under the radar when it comes to treatment and they aren't removed in most cases from what you alluded to and they basically wind up back in our watershed so for our audience maybe you could give us kind of a a debrief or a microplastics 101 as it relates to wastewater and, you know, basically, where do they come from? Where do they go? You know, so.
1: Right, so I just wanna caveat that, you know, I haven't done chemical research on microplastics. You know, okay. I have a chemistry degree as well as a law degree. What I've done here is sort of research the impacts. I've been in the environmental sector for nearly 20 years well, before even law school. And then when I was in law school, I focused on environmental law and issues. Uh, and this one, you know, came to my attention just because it is it is insidious but it's pervasive. So with microplastics, the issue is the, well, the real issue is the issue we can't see, right? So they're defined as being less than five millimeters in size plastic fibrous particulate but really it's the microscopic fibers that are of, you know, real concern. And it's because they're so migratory. They're so migratory. They can move with wave action. They can move with wind action. Um, The fact is too, we're trying to figure out from where they're coming. And they're kind of coming from all over at this point. They're not just part of the large plastic problem that we have—that's just ever growing out in our oceans, right? Um, they can derive from the breakdown of large plastics, right? You know, just like I'm saying, wave action and temperature changes. But you may be surprised to find that the bulk of these microplastics that we're finding are really coming from textiles. They're being traced right back to our our at-home washing machines, if nothing else. Um, And that's, that was the
0: thing I would really share that, that I found the most shocking. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I I think it is shocking to everyone because that we want to say, oh, it's the big corporations or the oil companies or, you know, the plastics manufacturers that are really making this the problem. But quite frankly, it's, it it is also us, you know, the consumer, right? Because these are Right now, these are sort of the option as far as our clothes go is synthetic fibers because Mm. they last, they keep us warm better than a lot of the natural materials do. Um, They, in a lot of respects, end up being less expensive. And, you know, we have an economy here that we all need to keep burning, right? Um, Fueled, maybe better. And the fact is, we have to wash our clothes, right? Our washing machines are not designed for microscopic contaminants, uh, and for filtering that out, so that's not what you're going to find in your, you know, your filter when you when you pull out the lint um, filter there. And so, you know, that wastewater gets discharged to your, you know, municipal facility, and at that point, there is where the regulation steps in. And those treatment facilities, a lot of them, you know, they've been around a long time. And quite frankly, the technology is just not there yet for managing what is a new issue, a new environmental issue, right? Okay. Um, but for the most part, we're finding that the bulk, the, the real concentrated pollutants, are really collecting near these discharge points of these wastewater treatment facilities. Um, and also, let me caveat here, I'm not here to the, start shooting down the wastewater treatment facility. Right. We we absolutely need everything that they do. They are, and I'm not saying any one of them or all of them are out of any sort of compliance by any means, but when you see an issue like this that's concerning and is maybe not being addressed technically or technologically, you know, you I like to bring it to light and I didn't want this to just turn into a paper I wrote in law school. It was just really a serious topic for me. Okay. Well, yeah, that
0: now I have a better understanding of it, that the fact that it comes from the clothes. And so it's not from what I'm understanding from our conversations, it's not the wastewater treatments, plants fault that they're getting out into the outfalls or, you know, the, you know, the release waters. It's that we don't have technology on the plant level that is capable of getting rid of these things. And why is that? Is it because they're just so small or they're resistant to being dealt with by other mechanisms, such as chemicals or bioaugmentation? Is it, is it just physically they can't be addressed by what we have
1: currently? Yeah, you know, it's it's multi-layered, I'd say. So from for this particular pollutant, it's not enumerated per se in the Clean Water Act. You know, it's not going to be something listed okay. for a wastewater treatment, you know, NIPD's permit to manage. But the argument is that they do fall under total suspended solids, which, you know, in the okay. wastewater treatment realm we're all fairly familiar with, right? And so EPA requires 85%. That's the minimum TSS has to be removed. And I'll tell you, I looked into a few permits and um, you know, when they report their percent to removal, they it literally will say 85%. And you know, you, you kind of step back and go. Way to do the minimum, guys, right? (laughs) But the fact is these, I mean, less than five millimeter size and many of our facilities, um, they actually do shred, pre-shred some of the solids that come in. And the smallest that they can get them is to half inch. So anything really a half inch and under is what's making its way back out. Um, And so you can imagine microscopic uh, is not being filtered through traditional methods and that's really what I want to also just bring to the table is that it's about and I like how you use the phrase disruptive technology right can you imagine if we had to to re, re retrofit um every one of these facilities for you know these membrane um filtration systems that are coming uh, activated sludge um, processes that are right. out there that don't have them in place and how costly that would be um, you know, that's, that is disruptive, right? But unfortunately, it is, we're at a time now here where these textiles aren't going away, the microplastics pollution um, problem is is becoming worse, um, that we need to start addressing new technologies. So it's, it's just that right now there isn't specific regulation, there isn't heightened enough technology. And if I'm being blunt, nobody's died yet from microplastics, right? So it's not like it's made, you know, headlines as we need to get out there and start stopping microplastics. Um, although, and I presented on this uh, back in March, on the March 25th, uh, I, you know, I had a good turnout and people responded really, I was very surprised uh, at the interest, um, not fear, which is good, you know, it's more about scientific interest and concern mm-hmm. and questioning. Uh, March 28th, my LinkedIn, my texts are all blowing up. Amanda, did you see this report that came out? Um, Sure enough, there was a study done in the Netherlands. Um, They tested 22 people. 17 of them had microplastics in their blood. So it was about 77% of the people that they had tested microplastics in the blood. And that was the first time someone had done an actual scientific study showing that, listen, It might, we may have thought that our bodies can just process something so small, but we're not because microplastics are a known bioaccumulant. We're bioaccumulating plastic. And that's, that's a little more terrifying, right? I mean, we don't want to think of ourselves as being. (laughs) plastic based <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> organic but not that kind of organic right uh, <laughs> no thank you I don't need to be um you know bionic man here because of my clothes uh, so yeah that's uh that's kind of what I want to say to that
0: yeah it's when you were saying that we may think that they're harmless but mm. we don't know enough about it yet. And it may be decades before we really find out what the long-term impact could be to our health, to our watershed, to to the planet from these things that we wear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, just because they look nice <laughs> and they wash well and they last long. Right. And so, when you were saying the the, the diameter of the particulate, so um, and retrofitting the plants, we did de- de- we definitely need some disruptive technology to do this. But in order to push this issue forward, you know and I know it's going to take somebody either getting hurt seriously or someone at a policy level to really, like the Clean Water Act, to maybe augment and put something forward that says we need to find a way to deal with this. We need to maybe throw some money at it. You know, maybe it's part of this big infrastructure bill right now and and water and sewer that's being invested in this country because it's a health issue. So what do you see as some ways that we could communicate with policymakers to make them aware that we as people in the industry are aware that these things are there, but we need help to deal with them because what we currently have available just not because we don't want to do the job, but we're just not capable of taking care of it. And that was the other thing I wanted to ask, you know, from a chemical background is that is there a way that they can test for the amount of this in the lab? Are there actually tests at wastewater treatment plants for these microplastics to determine the, the quantity? That you that are you aware of?
1: Yeah, I mean, there there has to be because we know that there's about 24 trillion pieces of microplastics in the upper ocean. So it's a man. Yeah, yeah, 24.4 is about the the number that's still floating out there, right? um and that's the upper zone even though these microplastics have been found on the top of Mount Everest as well as the the sea floor okay uh, as well as in our blood right so yeah absolutely you can absolutely test um and you know like I said before although I have the science background I have not done the scientific research myself I also haven't you know looked into really the wastewater treatment facility sectors capabilities of you know really what science they could implement if they if they had to but what you're saying as far as getting policy in place with this um something that ends up happening with with environmental issues is people get sued the people who are just tired of issues going under the wire sue and clean water act absolutely does have a um you know, you can bring a citizen suit if you think that your regulatory agencies are not doing the proper job that they've been tasked with doing on our behalf. And so you can start there. It's really being a squeaky wheel a little bit, right? But that's mm. how we move the needle on some of those. Um, and, you know, like we keep saying, since there hasn't been, you know, somebody dying or a collective group of people who have been affected, we, we, we can't really bring that data. So we're not able to yet find the cause and effect. What we're kind of seeing is correlation. And we're also projecting. So for instance, where these microplastics bioaccumulate and they are microscopic, we have the ocean is full of filter feeders and shellfish. And that's what they do. They filter out this material yeah. and it's not necessarily passing through. They hold on to it. We eat them. We hold on to it. Um, the fact that these animals are eating actual plastic as their carbon base as opposed to carbon dioxide like they normally would be they're actually we know that they are inhibiting the ocean's natural carbon sequestration processes which means that ultimately and yeah i'm probably doing the fear-mongering thing this is impacting climate change right um i mean you talk about 24.4 trillion particles just floating at the surface that weren't supposed to be there right and it's just increasing every day. There's action to be taken for moving that needle. But I don't know about walking into the legislature and saying, we need to do this. You can write as many bills as you want. By all means, we should um, to get this written in, enumerated into something like the Clean Water Act or at least NPDES permits um, so that we can see that it's being addressed.
0: So there so that you know, some engineer or scientist will, or wonder kid will come forward with, oh, I've got an invention to take care of this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like, and that like the animals, you know, I've always held the, you know, the belief that everything that ails us on the planet, a solution has been put here in nature to address it. So perhaps it is something that is very, very natural. Like when you were mentioning the shellfish, that, just like we use bioaugmentation in a treatment plant we use bacteria to eat the bad stuff that maybe there's a natural solution out there for dealing with this at treatment plants maybe it isn't more chemical or more mechanical or more you know things that have a big heavy carbon footprint maybe for something like this we didn't realize that when we were making polyester clothing or nylons for our pantyhose that it would ever create this. I'm sure the inventors of this, that was never their intention to do something to harm right. harm the planet. But now we may have to think way outside the box to combat, like you were saying, these aren't going away. So how do we deal with it? We have to come up with a solution to deal with it.
1: Yeah, and uh, so a couple of responses to, uh, to what you, you said there. So I actually got into law with my environmental background and chemistry background to go into intellectual property so because that really what i'd love to do is to give people who have that innovative technology the opportunity to get their patents reviewed and pushed through because i just don't think there's enough people who are reviewing that technology and understanding it or caring or finding that it's gonna be a moneymaker and i've never thought that the environmental realm should be a moneymaker honestly i've always said i'm gonna work myself out of a job that's the point of going <laughs> into environmental cleanup i if the more we try to monetize and make profitable cleaning up the environment the more incentive we have to keep polluting it that never resonated with me right mm-hmm. now <clears throat> the uh, holistic liberal um you know amanda from out of high school would tell you well the way we're going to stop this is you know, everybody needs to stop buying those textiles. That's for sure, you know, only natural fibers and, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. That reduces what's important. Stop buying something, you know, but the fact is that's not realistic. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I actually worked in industry for a couple decades, um, aging myself now, uh, that it really, I know there's a balance. I've seen mm. industry suffer at the hands of policy unnecessarily and i've seen policy in legislation that was supposed to do good get walked all over and that just isn't making sense it doesn't make sense when an industry literally just builds into their you know their cut sheet of revenue and loss the fines that they get for polluting like that that's not how that's supposed to work you're supposed to take that as punitive and stop polluting right um and then of course you know our agencies are just all strapped with labor as it is, so they can't do the inspections right. that they're necessarily supposed to stay on top of that sort of thing. And I just do think that there's a balance that we as a species can create with our, you know, just our economics. But I think you're definitely on to something where the planet itself saw us coming, right? It <laughs> it knew <laughs> yeah. it knew what it was getting into and it kept making us smarter, right? So I I mean, and that's really what climate change is. It's it's a cleansing is what, you know, and it's a harsh way of putting it, but that's what all of the flooding is and the hurricanes and it's the planet trying to balance itself out against us. And I didn't want that for the planet, you know, I didn't mean to do that with my, I mean, I'm not, I don't even know if I'm wearing a natural fiber today, if I'll be honest. So that's the reality.
0: Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And and on that note, it's like, yes, Maybe we all need to take a breath and think about how do we create more balance? Mm -hmm. And I I think the conversation has to start somewhere. It's almost like, how how are people going to, like, that's why I wanted to have you on the show was that I don't think people are just even aware of this or they Mm -hmm. hear, like they hear that buzzword in the news but they don't understand what well, what does it mean really in layman's terms. You know people talk about it on a very, you know, high high level scientific engineering and it totally goes over someone's head. And I want to thank you for coming on the show and just kind of breaking it down into a way that the average joe or jane can understand what is this? where is it coming from? and what could it potentially do? and that maybe it is something that we need to take a look at as just like other pollutants that we've addressed and found ways to combat. It's just like we talk about now, you know, the flushable wipes which are not flushable that are the mm. bane they are the bane of every wastewater collection system and wastewater treatment plant operator. They hate them, but they're never going to go away. So mm-hmm. we have to find mechanical technology or something that is going to break that down and get it out of the system. So maybe it's the same way with microplastics that now that we become, the more that we become aware, we're now going to start thinking about, all right, we have a problem. Somebody needs to come up with something to fix it. Maybe it should be me. Right. <laughs>
1: I'm happy to start the conversation, but I don't know if I'm going to invent Finish the technology. It, but, but you know what I I'm saying that somebody hearing that it will myself.
0: say, you know, somebody needs to do it. Maybe I know someone, or maybe I'm in school with someone that could do this, mm-hmm. you know, and it is, it's all about starting the conversation and creating the awareness, because without the awareness, we can't make steps forward to remedy it or do anything about
1: it. Knowledge is power, Right. Well, and that's the thing. I think some, you know, a lot of people, the population in general, if not, just think that it's intangible. The oceans are so big, really. What impact could it possibly have on the the whole ocean? We don't even really know how deep it goes, right? Uh, Or all of its real processes. The same with the atmosphere. And then, you know, getting into outer space, right? It's just, we're just specks, right? But the fact is, we're not. Um, And we, when we, when we think of the ocean, we really need to be thinking about our local the, the base, basically our river systems any mm-hmm. i mean we impact the coastline and quite frankly that's where like m- most of the shellfish community is is right there along the coast so you know if wastewater facilities are discharging these microplastics they really are staying at the coast which is where human life exists too so mm-hmm. we are interacting instantly with our own waste product is what it is. It's not just going away. That's why I don't like words like flush and throw away because it doesn't, it's just being moved somewhere else that we're going to interact with again. Mm -hmm. And so finding that, finding that balance of explaining to everyone, you do have a part because you are part of the the impact and you can also be part of the solution.
0: Mm. Thank you for that. Well, on that (laughs) note, we're going to wrap up If anybody listening is or watching is interested in opening dialogue with Amanda, learning more about, you know, her passions and and what she's doing on this subject, reach out to her on LinkedIn and it's Amanda Wati, but it's spelled W-U-O-T-I, but pronounced W-A-T-I Wati so amanda thank you again hey. for reaching out and wanting to be a guest on the podcast this was um, a little divergence but but still within the realm of wastewater and and kind of opened my eyes to some things and so I, w- I want to thank you again for coming on the show and um enjoy you know enjoy the rest of your day ahead and you two out there who are listening and we hope to catch you next time on another episode of the doo-doo divas smells like money podcast and until then Keep it flowing. Thanks so much for joining me, the doo doo diva on this week's episode of Smells Like Money. What stood out to you this week? Share your takeaways by leaving me a review. You can find out more about the new technologies, creating sustainable solutions and insights on how to succeed in our vital industry by subscribing to the show. Whether you wanna learn about the latest trends in wastewater infrastructure, treatment or trench lists, You've got it all right here It Smells Like Money. If you're an industry expert and would like to be considered as a guest for the show, book a quick chat with me by visiting calendly.com forward slash the Tuit Group forward slash B dash A dash podcast dash guest, or simply click the link in the show notes below. Until next week, A big shout out to all my industry friends and those who will be. You are my superheroes. Thanks for tuning in, keeping it flowing, and we'll see you all next week.